You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. The following is a recording of a live program held at the International Spy Museum. For more information about upcoming programs at the museum, please visit spymuseum.org. And on the middle of our homepage, you can check out the calendar of all the great events that are coming up soon. Today's SpyCast is brought to you by our friends at Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is reinventing men's basics, smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Thank you for your continued support of SpyCast. We are incredibly pleased today to have with us Cadi Marton. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I give you... YouTube, she's been interviewed all over the place, and there are 20 different pronunciations of her name, and so I was a little stressed about it. Mm-hmm. So a little biography here. Kadi was born in Hungary, uh, and she has a career as a reporter and a writer with human rights advocacy. Uh, from 03 to 08, she chaired the International Women's Health Coalition, a global leader in promoting and protecting the health and human rights of women and girls. From 01 to 02, she was chief advocate for the Office of Special Representative for Children in Armed Conflict at the United Nations. She's also served as the director and chair of the Committee to Protect Journalists, as well as on the Human Rights Watch Board for more than a decade. She also serves as a board of directors, on the board of directors of the International Rescue Committee, New America, and Central European University. She's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, PEN International, and the Authors Guild. Since 1980, Cadi has published nine books and contributed as reported to ABC News, Public Broadcasting Service, I don't know why I didn't say PBS there, uh, National NPR, The New Yorker, Atlantic Monthly, The Times of London, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and many, many more. Her 2009 book, a Cold War memoir entitled Enemies of the People, My Family's Journey to America, which is also published by Simon & Schuster, was a National Book Critics Circle finalist. Her newest book, and what we're here to talk about today, is True Believer, Stalin's Last American Spy, which is a fascinating tale of espionage and Cold War intrigue. So thank you, Cadi, for taking the time to join us here at the International Spy Museum. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here and, and wonderful to see so many spy uh, followers. <laughs> More here than you'll ever see. Uh, yes. Your new book is a biography of a man named Noel Field, who is not as well known as many of his colleagues in both the U.S. government, uh, but also in the spy world, such as Al Alger Hiss. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction to, to Noel Field as sure. a man? Yes. Well, he should be better known than, than any of them because he, in, in some ways he did more damage than, uh, than Alger Hiss uh, or even uh, Kim Philby. 
Uh, so Noel Hiss uh, was the um, son of a um, deeply rooted Yankee family. Uh, they settled in New England in the 17th century. Uh, so he was um, really an American aristocrat, uh, third generation Harvard grad, a brilliant young man who uh, aced Harvard uh, four-year program in two years with, um, with a great career ahead of him. Uh, but a man who um, felt uh, somehow alienated uh, from his environment, having landed a um, very much sought-after position at the State Department in the Office of Western European Affairs um, at age uh, 21. Uh, he was set for a huge career. Unbeknownst to him, the Kremlin was talent scouting for people just like Noel, with precisely his profile and precisely his natural built-in cover. And what spies most need is a cover. We, we talk a lot about motivations here at the Spy Museum. Uh, whenever you're trying to think of why somebody chooses to commit treason, it's, it's always <laughs> difficult to drag that out. And, and we use the acronym MICE here at the museum. It's mm -hmm. a way to kind of simplify and uh, understand that a little bit mice is uh, telling motivations. One is money, M is money, I is ideology, mm -hmm. C is compromise or coercion, mm -hmm. and E is ego. Seems mm. like it's pretty clear where Noel falls on this spectrum. Can you talk a little bit about his sure, motivation? Sure, sure. Well, it certainly wasn't money. Um, Noel was a, a kind of a dreamy idealist, and one of the significant takeaways from True Believer is that it isn't enough just to want to do good in the world, as he desperately did want to do. You also have to have judgment, which he desperately lacked. So Noel Field um, was living in Washington, D.C. at a time very much like our time. That is to say, uh, the country was deeply divided. Uh, he was of a generation that, that um, really had lost faith in politics and politicians' ability to right wrongs, to correct the social injustices. Sound familiar, right? Uh, an alienated uh, uh, class of, of, of well-educated people who really made a very rich target for, for the enemy that was as, as of yet invisible, the enemy that was in Moscow. And in those days, of course, what we knew of, uh, of the newly formed Soviet Union, we knew from Soviet propaganda. And this was obviously the days before the internet, but the Soviet spin machine was as adept and as cunning in picking out targets of opportunity for recruitment to espionage um, as ISIS is today. Well, and you can see how the Soviets had a, a, a very fertile ground with the United States in the 1920s and 30s, the Great Depression. You'd come out of World War I, which seemed to be a huge mistake for the United States. You have the marches of the Bonus Army, people not doing very well. And then you have this utopian ideal, like you talked about, where yes. there's no anti-Semitism, there's no racism, everybody's got a job, everybody's got food. And for intellectuals like Field, yeah. who were, let's admit, pretty socially awkward 
and we really, you know, do well, that's a big part yeah. of it, uh, Vince, is is that is the alienation, um, which uh, at Harvard was was very conspicuous. He was not uh, a cool guy on campus. He was he was a geek. He was a super geek. He lived at home. He he. These things may sound trivial, but but they aren't. Not when you have an, uh, a very shrewd enemy that has talent spotters in the field looking for alienated young people, very much like today, yeah. and, and looking for, it isn't enough just for a, a young man or a young woman to be alienated. You also have to want to be part of something bigger than yourself, part of, uh, of something important historically. And, and that is where you know, the ego comes in. Right. Um, the, the, this, this was a man with a very weak ego and, and who was really just searching for, for utopia. And, um, and it's very easy to sell a utopia if the actual utopia is the opposite but is so far away that, I mean, again, yeah. like, like today, like, like, today. like, yeah. like uh, Syria today or... or, or um, any, any other ISIS-held territory. Um, it's very easy to, to sell to somebody who is, uh, who is dreaming of righting every wrong, who is surrounded by, by jobless people and by a very racist society. One of the interesting things about Noel Field is, is how complicated a, a character he is because he has so many good qualities. And it just shows that, that good qualities can be twisted to evil purpose. He's somebody who's desperately searching for a sense of belonging somewhere. He's not finding it at Harvard. He's not finding it at the State Department. Yeah. And there's a possibility of potentially finding it with, for lack of a better term, fellow travelers who yes, were working yes. for the They're, Soviet Union. Right. But um, to differentiate Noel Field from fellow travelers is very important because there were many fellow travelers and um, you know, sort of vaguely idealistic, um, uh, socially conscious people who saw that this was, we, we are talking about the, the period in, in American history right before uh, President Roosevelt. Um, of course, uh, President Roosevelt you know, came to Washington and injected the place with hope and with energy and, and the New Deal, et cetera, and, and job creation. Uh, but this was not the case under, under uh, President Hoover, who when um, hundreds of thousands of veterans of World War I came marching down Pennsylvania Avenue, um, padlocked the gates to the White House and refused to see them. And Noel Field, my hero or anti-hero, uh, marched with them. And that gave him the first good feeling about himself that that feeling of being part of something bigger than himself, of, of, of being in the stream of history, and the, the relief that this tormented young man, tormented by insecurity and, and guilt feelings because he was born into privilege and surrounded by misery with 11 million American unemployed. So he was just ripe for picking, and unfortunately, the man who might have steered him toward a more moderate um, life of, of good deeds, his father, enormously important figure for him, died suddenly when, uh, when Noel was uh, 17 years old. 
And, um, but, but died um, right after he took his son to the battlefields of World War I, to the Marne and to Verdun, which of course are, were mass graves. In those days, especially the graves were virtually fresh. You know, thousands of young men who had fallen for what? For, for several meters of, of territory. And the father said to the son, son, make sure it doesn't happen again. And so Noel Field takes that to heart. And so he wants to be part of some sort of a revolutionary movement that promises to right every wrong. And the United States is not that country. Wait, it was, it, you look at one of the major events of the 1930s that continues to radicalize many people who uh, would later spy for the Soviet Union that most Americans don't think a lot about because we weren't involved in, and that's the Spanish Civil War. Big and event. A huge in, event. A big yeah. event in, in, in Noel's life and in, in my book. It's really a, a big chapter because that is where the West had the first opportunity to do something other than talk big about the rise of fascism and to actually fight fascism. And, and Mussolini and Hitler were heavily engaged, arming uh, Franco's, the, the uh, fascist uh, Spanish forces. And, uh, and once again, the United States was on the sidelines. And, um, and Noel Field was present in Spain because we're, we're fast forwarding a bit here. Um, but um, he, ha he always had scruples about spying in his own country. Didn't prevent him from spying. It didn't prevent him from stealing documents from, from the State Department or giving full briefings on conferences to his uh, Soviet minder. But in Spain, he, was, uh, he had left the State Department, um, which, which uh, made this, 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 this man more anxious even than, than his, he normally was, and joined the League of Nations, where he continued to spy. But at least there, it was a slightly more ambiguous kind of spying. Mm -hmm. he, wasn't, he was spying on everybody right. for Moscow, as opposed to just on his own country. So he had been sent to Spain to the Spanish Civil War to help repatriate the fallen, uh, the, 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 the fallen mostly socialist, left-leaning uh, fighters from Spain to their countries. And this is to, the, to their eternal um, uh, uh, anguish. This is where Noel Field met the future leaders of um, the Soviet bloc. And that would prove their downfall because, because ultimately, a single meeting with Noel Field turned out to be lethal. One of the extraordinary transformations in this book is Field from a young, peace-loving, you know, talking to Alan Dulles and others about, I'm going to yes. bring peace to the world, to later on becoming very hardened. Yes. You know, where uh, he, he assisted in the assassination of his handler, a friend. He, he kind of, as yes. his compatriots keep getting purged one after the other, it kind of distills his resolve. And then there's a moment where many of his, his contemporaries gave up on the utopian ideal of the Soviet Union. That's the Nazi-Soviet pact, where many people who had been seduced yes. by the Soviet Union said, oh, they're just like everybody else. I no longer Only am, worse. Only worse, right? I'm no longer a, a, a someone who subscribes to this idea. It was opposite for him. He had been yes. fully indoctrinated, brainwashed into this idea um, and you have a great line in the book where it's actually in the introduction, so you don't have to go too far to read it. It says that Field had the gift for seeing only what he chooses to see. Yes. And that just seemed so prescient to me. The idea is just yes. 
it was always an excuse. There was always a way that Stalin was doing it the right way, yes. even when he was killing everybody around him. The party could do no wrong. Yeah. Um, well, it's like any, any religious faith. Once you embrace it wholeheartedly, your entire life depends on it because it gives your life purpose and meaning. It gives you comrades, so a sense of family. Right. And, and therefore, you are willing to betray your own family, which I think one of, the, one of the most terrifying things about Noel Field is how he crushed his own family for the cause, in quotation marks, for, for the greater uh, good of communism. He, he and his wife, who, who uh, was um, who, who I have a quote from somebody saying that, that she would have followed him whether he chose uh, to be a Buddhist monk or, or, um, or a killer. Um, so it was a, his, his wife was, was, was a full partner in, in treachery and paid for it as well. But um, they, they um, really decided not to have children because that would have been a diversion from the cause. I mean, talk about fanaticism. But, you know, uh, this week particularly, we, uh, as a New Yorker, we're very much conscious of uh, self-radicalized um, uh, terrorist killers. Well, Noel Field, from a prior era, was self-radicalized because he started down this road of fanaticism and, and really being a tool of a murderous branch of fanaticism, which is what Stalinism was, on his own. Um, reading whatever he could get his hands on uh, about the, um, the Russian Revolution and, and the great Marxist tomes and inhaling it and as, as some inhale the Bible or the Koran. And, and so that by the time um, the KGB came knocking on his door, he, he was ready. But uh, as with the, the um, New York uh, bomber, um, the, the road to radicalization began it, as a very private matter. Um, late at night, uh, when he would get home from the State Department, um, he lived his, his real life, as he called it. And, and the, 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 the time he put in in the State Department became less and less significant. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the deeper he went into the, the printed texts. And the remarkable thing is that here's this brilliant young man and, and many others of his generation as well who could trust um, a country, a faith, an ideology. I'm talking about the Soviet ideology without ever having set foot in that country. And so from afar, they inhaled the message, which right. was a beautiful message, a utopian uh, image of every, of, of, of every injustice uh, righted and, and, and leveled. But even when it wasn't a utopian message anymore, even when he was introduced directly to the reality of the situation, after the war, he has essentially a nightmarish situation. He worked with OSS during the war, working with the resistance groups, which heavily work with OSS. And after the war, it was the Hiss versus Chambers trial yes. that essentially destroyed his spy life. It, it, right. Whitaker and Chambers, uh, while testifying against Alger Hiss, also names Noel Field, Field as which, a spy for the Soviet Union. Which, um, which ends his, his uh, double life. In, in, one, in, in one morning, he picks up the um, New York Times, and, and he is the, the, the headline, unmasked. 
And of course, now he's a desperate man. Right. And let me just say, uh, Vince, that he, that he was never a brilliant spy. He, <laughs> he was um, a committed one. But um, he, he, the material that he stole was, was uh, not uh, on par with the Rosenbergs. Um, he did not steal any uh, atomic secrets. He stole things that were in a State Department that was very sloppy and, and very uh, naive. It was the State Department of gentlemen don't read uh, uh, other gentlemen's mail, a uh, famous right. quote from a Secretary of State. Um, and therefore, it was pretty light work stealing documents from the State Department. And let me just also add that, that the FBI, um, under J. Edgar Hoover, who became, of course, one of the most zealous uh, uh, red uh, witch hunters, um, in those days was also not very interested in communist penetration. We are talking about an era which represents the high watermark of Soviet penetration of the highest reaches of the United States government, the, the, the White House, the Treasury, and the State Department. By the time um, J. Edgar Hoover began his, his witch hunt, which of course led to the uh, shameful McCarthyist era, there were very few witches left right. in the woods. But while my guy, Noel Field, was working, the, the woods were full of witches. Right, in the 30s, it would have been a target-rich environment for Hoover, but he waits a little too long. He to does, and that perhaps accounts for his, uh, his excessive zeal right. in hunting them well past their, their sell-by date. So when Field is exposed as a spy, this sadly... Uh, coincides with when Stalin is looking for an excuse yes. to round up and liquefy all of the people who had worked for him loyally the last several decades but had been exposed to the West. Kind of the, the second great purge yeah. in the Soviet Union yes. after 1938. He talked a little bit about this story. because This is really kind of, this is where he does his damage. As you mentioned, yeah. it wasn't as a spy. It was as something far, far yeah. more sinister. Well, um, Stalin had a very successful run in the 30s, get purging his uh, perceived rivals for for Lenin's uh, mantle um, uh, with with show trials that had absolutely no connection to to justice. They were um, as much propaganda tools as ISIS beheadings are today. They were meant to inspire fear and terror, and did so. Now he takes Stalin um, in, in, in his last years of uh, advanced paranoia. Uh, he, his target is, is Tito, Titoists, because Tito, the, the um, popular and heroic uh, head of the Yugoslav uh, Communist Party, is, uh, is too independent for Stalin's taste. So um, in, in uh, full rage, he can't, Stalin can't move against Tito. <laughs> But he can move uh, against all the other satellites in, in the Soviet zone because there he has um, his troops uh, still in occupation. And he needs somebody who knows all the heads of these newly established satellites and who can connect them to the new enemy, namely Washington. Because you mentioned that, that uh, Noel Field worked for uh, Wild Bill Donovan's outfit, the OSS which he thought that as a, as a good communist and a good communist uh, 
spy uh, was what the Kremlin would want him to do because, because Uncle Joe, famously, was allied with, uh, with FDR in, in uh, defeating um, Hitler. And um, he, but he did not clear this work. This was kind of freelance work. He did not clear it with, with Moscow because uh, wartime communications made that impossible. So now uh, Stalin has in Noel Field his slavish servant of many years, uh, a man who can, can indict all the communists um, of, of espionage for Alan Dulles and the CIA, the newly formed CIA, um, and, and strike a blow against Titoists. And so uh, this, this man is a, uh, is, is a dream come true for the, for the Kremlin. And so they lure him with a fake job offer. They lure this desperate Noel Field, desperate now because he can't come home. He can't, he's been unmasked. So he, sort of like Edward Snowden, he, he rushes east uh, for sanctuary, um, is kidnapped from his hotel in Prague, uh, drugged. When he, when he uh, regains consciousness, he finds himself in a very strange country whose language he does not understand. The multilingual Noel Field does not understand. I was going to jokingly say, no one but you seems to understand. <laughs> I admit, I admit, I had a, I had a definite edge uh, in researching this because I, I do speak uh, Budapest-born and I do speak the language. And luckily for me, uh, the surveillance records are in, uh, in Hungarian and in the... Um, the secret police archives in Budapest where I know my way around yeah. from, from prior work. We will come back to our program momentarily. But first, if you've been listening to SpyCast over the last couple of weeks, you've heard me talk about Mac Weldon. And if you're like me, when you started your first job and you barely had enough money for rent, ramen, and an NFL Sunday ticket, you bought most of your clothes at big department store or retail store for as cheaply as you could. Now that I'm an adult, at least in age, I try to buy clothes at places that also don't sell Funyuns and scented candles. Although Funyuns and scented candles are awesome, especially Funyun scented candles. While I matured in my sensibilities when it came to dress shirts, shoes, and pants, I still shop for the basics at the same place I shop for cat food and shampoo. Does this sound familiar? Well, no matter what store-bought brands you've been using in the past, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. It will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, shorts, polos, and sweatpants that you will ever own. The cool thing about this company is that they're constantly growing. If you went online to check out Mack Weldon after hearing my first read a couple months ago and then never looked again, you'll be amazed at how much more they have to offer. This includes everyday socks that you treat your feet right. Sharply designed and tech-enhanced, these stay put as you keep moving. A cushioned footbed makes for undeniably comfortable wear, no matter how much payment you're pounding. And for fans of the discreet, they are the no-show socks, which stay out of sight and slip free with smart design and built-in gel strip technology. A seamless toe, an extra cushioned footbed, keeps things comfortable. These are ideal for sneakers and dress shoes. And of course, Mack Weldon will always have the try-on guarantee, hassle-free returns, and free shipping on orders over $50. Mack Weldon is reinventing men's basics, smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. So go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code SPYCAST. That's MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code SPYCAST. One, one thing I found 
interesting and almost frustrating when I was reading about this was Field comes across as almost in a uh, kind of in an abusive relationship yes. where he's constantly just you know beaten and and I was I, I try not to curse here he was made uh, <laughs> he was just beaten and abused and abused and abused and abused yes. by the Soviet regime and every time he comes tortured, back tortured horribly right. tortured and he doesn't but, just yeah. come back for more but he yeah. he justifies the abuse he says I yes. deserved it it he was has my a martyr. fault it was he has a martyr complex yeah. Um, as, 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 as much as I, I allow myself to indulge in, in uh, amateur psychiatry, uh, he was definitely, um, there, there's, there's a bit of a masochist in, in him. And he's, he's, looking, he's, he's looking to suffer for, for the great cause. And he, you know, the, uh, tragically, where, where most of the other right-thinking members of his generation, people like George or Orwell and Arthur Kessler and uh, Edmund Wilson and, and uh, you name it, the, the, a whole generation of, of fellow travelers, saw the light eventually. Uh, Nolfield never did. And, and even after he was tortured, there was always a Soviet agent in the room when he was being interrogated by, by Hungarian uh, secret policemen. There were, so he could have no doubt that, that the orders for this sham uh, 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 judicial uh, trial, he was never, he was never tried, he, but his name in court uh, frequently uttered was enough to guarantee a death sentence for, for those right. with whom he came in contact, mostly during the Spanish Civil War. Well, one thing that's extraordinary is it's not just about masochism, in my opinion, because he dragged his whole family into it as well. Terrible. And yes. his wife is in prison for several yes. years. And, and what was fascinating to me was when he finally is reunited with his wife. Yes. He asked her, did you stay true? And at first I'm like, <laughs> I doubt she's going to be having affairs in prison. Yeah, That's right. not what he was getting at. What was he actually no. asking her? He was asking, did you stay true to our cause? And can you imagine uh, 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 reunited with his with his wife, who he had made suffer um, unspeakable horrors, as well as his younger brother, who went looking for him, an eminent uh, Boston-based architect, Herman Field, uh, also in in yet another way station of the Gulag Archipelago, and last but not least, the heroine of this tale. His adopted daughter, Erica, Erica Wallach, is, is uh, I had the best time writing and researching Erica because she is the kind of heroine that you only read about in fiction. Uh, she is such a cool lady. And she, she goes looking for her stepfather because she feels that, that Washington has completely forgotten him. I mean, just imagine uh, a family of four Americans just vanishes. And, um, and very little is being done. Of course, it was understandable that not that much was done on Noel's behalf because Noel had been unmasked as a right. spy. Still, but, but there was his brother and his wife and his daughter. But, so Erica takes it upon a very determined young woman, goes looking for him, and is rewarded with, with um, five years in the northernmost outpost of the Gulag Archipelago, the Arctic um, for Kuta, uh, where she lays uh, railroad tracks, and um, so we we are we are now at the at the um, 
end of their, their uh, prison ordeal, which has ended not because anybody in, in the East suddenly has a, 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 a stroke of uh, humanity. Well, it ends but, because someone in the East had a stroke. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't humanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only Stalin's death, but this is a this is two years after Stalin's death. It, I mean, the irony is that their interrogator of the whole family, interrogator, which is a euphemism for torturer, um, defects. This is a real Le Carre esque mm -hmm. uh, plot twist. He 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 uses a, uh, a a shopping trip to Berlin. To, um, and turns up at the American embassy and asks for political asylum. So uh, the, the CIA spends a year debriefing this man and, um, and then stages a big news conference here, here in Washington. And he announces to the world that the family, this American family, are alive. And I know where they are because I was their interrogator. So now the State Department. Uh, starts bombarding uh, Moscow with with uh, memoranda saying we want to know what happened to to the family and now it's Khrushchev making nice with Eisenhower right. and so they are freed but Nolfield having been unmasked as a spy is in no mood to face the music back here so he asks for political asylum in the country that has held him prisoner for five years, he and his wife, which is a huge political uh, um, gain for for in in the in the east-west uh, chess game. Uh, just um, I'm, I'm not a chess player, so what is it when 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 all the pieces go your way? Anyway, it's a, it's, che it's a checkmate. Checkmate. It's checkmate. Yeah. It's checkmate for for Moscow. This um, this high uh, value. Uh, former spy is now asked choosing east over west, but one of the conditions of his release is that he never talk to Western media about his ordeal, which would of course not make uh, Moscow look too good. And this is where my personal story intersects. One with, last thing before, I, I really want to touch upon. One, what yeah. I found again the idea of indoctrination is. When he got out of prison, when he was released, he had no idea about the outside world. No. And he was so cut off from everyone else. He'd been in solitary. Right, he'd been in solitary confinement. Yeah. He asked about Stalin and found yes. out he had died a year earlier, two yes. years earlier, and he sobbed. Yes. How about that? So, I mean, if that's not, if that's not proof of the depth of, of the man's fanaticism, and, and that this really was like a, like a fundamentalist uh, religion, uh, and the, the, the death of, of the caliph, the prophet, the, the messiah, all in one. And, and he was crushed, even though he knew that, that Stalin uh, was responsible for, for his family's ordeal. But he considered it, when, when he asks um, to, for, for his case to be reinvestigated, um, because he didn't like being known as a as a, as a CIA agent when when he was so deeply uh, of the other faith, if you will, he he doesn't do that for his own uh, record. He does it because he thinks that his case reflects badly on uh, on the Soviets. Uh, so that is the power and the depth. Of the brainwashing that that uh, that he has been through, and and that for 
for the rest of his life, even though now he is living in a Soviet-controlled state, a Soviet-controlled state uh, which is about to be, which is about to erupt in revolution, a genuine popular uprising, and he he is there, but he is so blinded by his faith and for for Noel Field, believing is seeing, not the other way around. Um, he considers the Hungarian Revolution as a counter-revolution, and he considers the Soviet forces that come in to, to extinguish that revolution very brutally. He considers that the, revo the real revolution. Right. The, the, those are the real freedom fighters, right. the Soviet troops who, who came in and, and put out the Hungarian uprising. So, we, we, we've, so far, we've kept something from the audience that I think adds a wonderful wrinkle to this story. Uh, you and your family, well, you were very, very young, but your family especially was, were closely involved in not just this case. It's a strange, but, it's a strange yeah. intersection. So um, when, um, when I was a little kid in growing up in Budapest, my mother and father were the only free media covering um, the unfolding Sovietization of Hungary. And the, oh, they covered uh, the arrest of Noel Field and the, and the show trials that, that followed. And um, when, when um, Noel Field was, uh, was freed, they immediately asked to interview him. My father was the AP correspondent, my mother UPI. And um, until then, um, as a precondition of his release, he had sworn that he would never talk to the Western media. And, and the American ambassador in Hungary had, had uh, kept uh, Field's address a secret. But once Field asks for political asylum uh, from the Soviets and, and their Hungarian puppets, uh, the ambassador tells Field, I will no longer protect your, um, your privacy. I will give the Martans your address, my parents. And, um, Days after that, my father is arrested, um, grabbed in the middle of the night, and taken to the same prison where Noel Field just was. Not only the same yeah, prison, not only that, yeah. the same cell. So when, when the jailer leads my father, uh, my journalist father, uh, to his cell, he says to him, congratulations, you got the VIP cell, uh, recently vacated by an American agent named Noel Field. So, um, two years later, my father is freed, and he tells us this story, and uh, also adds that, by the way, VIP cell didn't mean I had a river view. Uh, it meant uh, that I had uh, more sophisticated bugs in my cell than, than, than anybody else. And then, um, during the chaos of the uh, Hungarian uprising, my parents locate the fields and conduct the one and only press interview um, with, uh, with Mr. and Mrs. Field. And um, I, I think that, that it was surprise that, that got them past the front door. I think they were so shocked to see. They knew exactly who my parents were, of course, because my, my parents um, had a lot of publicity surrounding their arrest. And in fact, uh, the first time that I was uh, featured in the, in the 
New York Times, my hometown paper, was uh, was a front page story of uh, of their my parents' arrest with uh, because even by Soviet standards it was particularly cruel to take both a mother and father of two little kids. So the first question that that Mrs. Field asked my mother, who had also been in the same prison because they arrested both my parents, was uh, what happened to the little girls. That would be me and my older sister, and. Um, it was a very, it was a very kind of polite exchange. I, I write up, I write about it in the book, but then I found, and this is what makes research so much fun. When you find something like this, I found a letter uh, in the in the um, Hungarian archives that that Noel wrote his friend Alger Hiss, just savaging my father. Imagine Alger, he didn't have the the politeness to, to call ahead for an interview as if he would have gotten an interview if he wouldn't have burst in on him like that. And, and, and he was very mad at my father for, for writing in his AP uh, story that, 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 his, that uh, Field was, uh, was a party man because at that point he hadn't yet uh, come out as a, as a full-blown um, agent party man and, and, uh, and, and wouldn't because the, the, the Soviets felt that he was more useful to them as a propagandist who was a good American right. and, and, and thought that America was a doomed state without having communist affiliation. So, he, so, so my father uh, upset his, his plan. Yay, Dad. Yes. <laughs> Would you be willing to take some questions from the audience? Oh, with pleasure, yes. So we have a microphone coming around, so Shauna is there with it. So just raise your hand and she'll come to you. And In True Believer, I found, it, I found it very interesting to read about Vary and Fry and about the interactions between Vary and Fry and Noel Field. Yes, very, if I may just, uh, for those who may not be familiar with this wonderful Varian Fry, who, who uh, was a great uh, humanitarian who, who uh, ran a, a rescue mission and, and during, during the um, Nazi occupation of France at, at a time when the U.S. itself had a, had a uh, terrible history of non-rescue, Varian Fry um, was sort of, sort of a, a Raoul Wallenberg uh, type of, of uh, real humanitarian and and um, go go on with your question. Um, um, what would you say um, throughout your research? What would you say that you found most meaningful about learning about Varian Fry and about the interactions between Varian Fry and Noel Field and about Varian Fry's rescue work? Well, um, Varian Fry is the is the founder of the International Rescue Committee, which today, of course, is a um, is a giant uh, and successful uh, refugee operation, and I happen to serve on on its board. Varian Fry was an early victim of the U.S. anti-immigrant, anti-refugee policy, which was uh, shamefully. Uh, in in place uh, during the um, Second World War, when we might have done far more to rescue, particularly Jews, uh, but rescue was in the in the hands of a um, of an out and out anti Semite, I would say, in the State Department named Breckenridge Long. But at any rate, Varian Fry meets Noel Field 
in Marseille, which is a which is a, an important um, chapter in in my book, what happens in in Marseille, and and Varian Fry, ahead of almost everyone else, picks Nolfield out as what he is, a Soviet agent, and warns people off him. And uh, at that point, uh, he was living. Nolfield was living an absolutely. Uh, clandestine life as, as a communist, and his own family didn't know that he was an agent. It was just assumed that he was, like so many other well-meaning people, you know, le a leftist, socialist, do-gooder. And he, what, in fact, uh, he was doing, Noel Field, was using uh, money raised by a Boston NGO, the Unitarian Service Committee, and he turned it into, in his own words, red aid. So he was using the, the um, good, good people of Boston's hard-earned dollars meant to save um, anybody fleeing um, the Nazis to, to save only communists right. and, and to help them repatriate to their countries of origin and to start setting up future communist states. Varian Fry was an early victim of this terrible chapter in American history. He was, he was recalled to Washington because he was too successful. He saved a lot of um, uh, really wonderful people, among them uh, Marc Chagall, um, from, from uh, the Nazis, um, and, um, and, and tried to warn both the United States about, about what it wasn't doing to, to help the um, refugees and also to warn people about uh, Noel Field long before any, anybody else. So I have nothing but respect for Varian Fry. I was puzzled by your comment at the beginning. You felt that Field had done more damage, including um, Kim Philby. Now, as far as I can make out from the two-thirds of the book I've read and listening to you, all Fields did was he stole a bunch of memos in the 30s that probably weren't in the longer scheme of things such a big deal. And then during the war, he diverted a lot of resources to help communist refugees, all of whom went home and either got purged or shunted to the side. Whereas Philby compromised all kinds of um, operations and God knows what else. You know, it, it's, um, it's hard to, uh, I, I probably shouldn't have said he did more damage than Philby, but, but let me just say that the, that the human damage right. that um, he committed, Noel Field, is, is beyond calculation. Um, that that his, his, his cruelty to his own family um, is, is something that surpassed anything that Philby did. But, you know, I, I don't like to play this... this um, uh, it's hard to quantify. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like who was worse, you know. Um, they, were, they were bad. They were bad. And there's, they're, they're, we have reason enough to, um, to be uh, critical and, and, and even um, contemptuous of, of both Field and Philby. Who, uh, who really um, sacrificed anybody who, who defied them and who got in the way of, of their, their ultimate cause. And the hundreds of people uh, were led to their execution or imprisonment as a result of, uh, of Noel Field's testimony. 
So, but it's but it's hard to weigh. It's right. it's like it's like when you're watching old films about Stalin and Hitler. You know, it's hard to who do you root for? It's more damage to what? Right? Yes. It's more damage yeah. to Western intelligence. Kim Philby wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But more damage to the world. I mean, more damage to the people, the hundreds and hundreds that were killed. You can certainly have that. I think that's much more. Yeah, in line but Philby too that. was was a, a, a treacherous, contemptible character with different motives than uh, Noel Field, I would say. But we're here to discuss Noel Field. Yeah. You mentioned cruelty to his own family. Was this simply a, a unfortunate consequence of his true? Re- Stalinist religion mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. actual acts of cruelty to um, family members that went beyond yeah, the, the call of duty? That's such a good question. I think it was just, he just didn't give a damn. I think he just, um, the, the evidence that he didn't give a damn about his family is, is when um, he tries to uh, keep his brother Herman, who had already paid with his freedom, for for Noel, for his brother Noel's sins by going in pursuit of him and then and then being jailed himself, he did not see his children for five years. He was in a horrible Warsaw dungeon, and yet when he's freed, Noel is working to keep him keep him east, keep because that would be a huge propaganda coup for Moscow if two Field brothers stayed east. And then the way he tries to lure Erica uh, to, uh, to, to, to the east, even after she's freed from the, from the gulag. And as a result, um, Erica um, doesn't ever see him again. And on his deathbed, Noel Field asks for her. This is a very kind of poignant moment. And, and she later, Erica later said that she, she deeply regretted that, that she didn't answer that call uh, because he had been a good father to her. Um, so again, the complexity of the man. But uh, I, I enjoy writing about complex characters. They, they make for much more interesting material, I think. Hi, Katie. Uh, Hi. Augusto, I met you on Saturday at the uh, Politics and Prose. Um, I grew up with um, Erica Wallach, um, and for me, she was a heroine. I'm a psychologist. I work with the military. um, It's very nice that you came. When I think of self-actualization, there's two people that come to mind, and one's my granddad, who was a politician in Peru, and the other one's Erica Wallach. She really um, lived life to the fullest, there was no manipulating her. She told you exactly what it was, and she was just a, a fearsome force to have around. Yeah. Uh, demanded respect from everybody, and mm-hmm. was loved by so many people. I was with her as, as she passed away uh, after college, and um, really left quite an impact on me um, for my life. And, and we actually did visit um, the fields home outside of Boston when I was a teenager. Um, I keep wondering what would Erica Wallach say if she was here yeah. listening to this lecture. I wish she were here. And um, I, I wonder, I mean, there's always been a lot of questions in my mind, such as, would we qualify, you know, would we classify her as a spy if she was working closely with Noah Field, delivering documents or helping out or helping out in a cause? Um, that's always been a question in my mind. And I'm also very interested in the, um, her early relationship with Noah Field, how they got in, you know, how he met her and how yeah. that worked out. And 
her marrying this army captain. Yes. Um, the army captain, you know, was doing well, but people in the family were pretty uh, well placed. And I wonder if this was also a political move, if if Noelfield uh, encouraged it or was considering using that as getting further classified information and I other things. It, didn't he? Yeah. Noel Field was very upset when when his beloved uh, foster daughter uh, fell in love with an American GI. That was not part of his program. He saw a brilliant future for her as a communist. And indeed, she did join the party. And the, the, the Communist Party of Germany was a legal party, just as the uh, American Communist Party was a legal Party. But, you know, the, the whole question of what is spying and what, is, what constitutes espionage is a murky area. And, uh, for example, my, my father was convicted as a spy, which he was not. He was a journalist. But as I studied his, his record, there were areas where he crossed the line in, because he so believed uh, that in the Cold War... Um, uh, game, uh, the the West was the was on the right side, and therefore he he did in fact um, take a document from from the Hungarian um, Parliament and gave it to the American ambassador, and he was seen doing that, and and a document that that wasn't meant to be removed from the premises. So that can constitute espionage, but, but I, I, I think it's, it's um, I like to think that a, a espionage is, is when, uh, when you're a professional and you are working, you are, you are not just helping a cause that you feel is, is the right side, um, but, uh, but you're actually working now, mind you, Noel Field was never paid for anything he did. Neither was Alger his. Um, his reward um, was from another source. His reward was, was feeling that he was, he was a comrade. It meant so much to him to be called comrade. Um, and, and in the end, his, his greatest reward was um, his funeral, which, which they gave him um, a, a state funeral with full military honors, and he was buried alongside the heroes of the Hungarian communist movement. And uh, by the way, later he was moved uh, to, a, <laughs> to a far more modest uh, spot. But he had that, and, and he had prescribed that the mourners sing the, the, um, the hymn of the international communist movement, the, the Internationale. And, uh, and I interviewed people who were at the funeral, and they all said that it was pretty embarrassing because none of us knew the words anymore. <laughs> and and, and that, that tells you something about uh, how few true believers there were left uh, by the 70s, uh, certainly in, in Hungary. I have one last uh, part to this. I have my own theories. What did you find doing your research helped her survive those five years? It must have been mm. pretty darn awful in the Terrible. gulag. And uh, I'm sure many died by suicide and Terrible. many just died of sickness and everything else. I have my own theories. I've, I've read parts of uh, Light at Midnight, which is Erica's uh, book. Yes. But what, what did, what, what's your theory? I think um, that Erica, this will sound strange, I think she lived as full a life in the gulag as is humanly possible. <laughs> she had relationships. She made friendships. She even had a romance. 
um, she she was not in solitary. It, it was it was cold and it was it was primitive and it was uh, uh, most most of us would not have uh, withstood uh, endured what what Erica endured, but uh, she had a lot of fight in her and no bitterness. In fact, when she emerged, I, 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 I had the privilege of knowing Nelson Mandela, and Mandela did not have a, a shred of bitterness toward, toward his captives, toward his captors, towards the people who, who, who um, for 27 years, I believe, um, kept him from living a life. And neither did Erica. On the contrary, she, as you know, um, she considered it a sort of a blessing that she had been through that because it gave life that followed an, an extra zest for her. And she had such an appetite, as you know better than I do, she had such an appetite uh, for life after that. She never, she did not live a single day without thinking, wow, I am so lucky to be alive. And, and she considered that a gift. So, you know, events, people uh, approach events differently. And for one person, that's, that's a reason for despair. And for another, it's, wow, I know the meaning and the value and the gift of life. She would tell me a story about her, how, her love of animals and um, how she would take care of the ants and bugs in her cell. And yes. when yes. she got out of prison, she was... Um, heading the SPCA in Warrington, Virginia, which was one of her yeah. jobs. So this love of animals was kind of sublimated. How can I take care of others? Yes. What a, what a great role model, Erica. Is I, she, for me, she, she really was the high, highlight of my research because she was such a positive person. And, and uh, there's interest in, uh, from, from, uh, from some Hollywood uh, film people in making this a movie. And I think Erica makes the movie. If there is a movie, because Noel Field is not exactly a, uh, an uplifting <laughs> character. <laughs> Any further questions? We had time for one last one over here. Uh, Shauna, right in front. Yeah. I got th three really quick questions. Mm. Um, and another if you have time otherwise, but it sounds like <laughs> not. PBS just aired the Ken Burns documentary on the Sharps last yes. night. Did they know the fields? Yes. Okay. Yes. Part of the same outfit, the oh, Unitarians. Like. Yeah, did, I didn't see them in the book, or did I miss that? Um, they, they were they featured in my research, but they, they did not have direct uh, right. um, okay. interaction. But they were part of the Unitarians that Field completely deceived about his uh, his purpose, which of course was saving communists. The Sharps were genuine humanitarians. They were there to save lives. And, and Noel Field subverted their mission. Did you, um, you talked about the interview your parents had with the Fields. Do you actually have the records of that? Do they have notebooks? And Not notebooks, but um, my, my father um, had, had terrible handwriting, so he always typed everything up. So I, have, I had his typed notes. And also, over the years, we, we had conversations. Um, you, uh, you started this by describing uh, a day Field picks up the newspapers in 1948 and sees his name plastered in the uh, his case uh, yes. uh, proceedings or, or stories. Was that actual an actual event? Just out of yes. curiosity, it was. It was. It's recorded that he yes, saw that. Yes, in a letter. 
Uh, time for one second. Go ahead. Those are good, quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Unless the next one is the meaning of life or no, something. No, no, no. <laughs> Which we'll As, talk about afterwards. Yeah. Assassin, I should disclaim, I'm a grandchild of Whitaker Chambers, so this is Oh, you're David. Particular, right, oh, nice to meet you, David. Good to meet you. Oh. Uh, the assassination of Ignaz Rice. Yes. Um, which which Noel Field uh, was willing to participate in. And I thought you clearly documented that. You did mention Krav Walter Kravitsky as well. And yes. I, you used the term something like passively complicit for Noel Field in the assassination. Yes. Would you consider that Walter Kravitsky was also at least passively uh, complicit because they're variations on whether or not he was at all even willing or of the how knowing a participant he yeah, was. Yeah, Walter, Walter, General Kravitsky, who of course had a famous meeting with your grandfather, right. um, which, which was critical for both of them, um, he, um, I, I, I cut Kravitsky a whole lot of slack because he was running for his life and he decided based on um, the order to assassinate uh, Ignaz Rice for, for um, the crime of being a good Bolshevik, a good Leninist, as opposed to a good Stalinist. Um, he considered that a deal breaker. And, and he was trying, as your grandfather, Whitaker Chambers, uh, successfully managed to break with, uh, with Stalinism, with Stalin. And uh, it happily it worked for your grandfather, but it didn't work for Kravitsky. He was he was uh, found shot uh, right here in Washington in a in a hotel near uh, yeah. yes near Union Station. Um, so um, so he he uh, I I um, I have a lot of respect for for Kravitsky, who was yet another disappointed uh, Bolshevik. Uh, who Stalin simply could not tolerate because Stalin was about something else. Stalin was about Stalin yeah. and, and not a world communist movement, which is what your grandfather and Kravitsky and so many others in my book uh, were about, Arthur Kessler and Orwell, etc. Please join me in thanking Kadi Martong for taking the time to uh, join us today. We'd like to thank our great sponsor, Mac Weldon, for continuing to support SpyCast. Remember, you can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com by using the promo code SPYCAST. That's 20% off at MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code SPYCAST. Thank you for joining us on SPYCAST. Every Tuesday, we'll give you the most interesting conversations with some of the most intriguing people in the world of intelligence. If you'd like to send us a comment or suggestion, you can email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Or tweet us at intlspycast. That's I-N-T-L-S-P-Y-C-A-S-T. The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 nonprofit institution. To help support future educational programming, please visit spymuseum.org and click on our Donate Now link at the top of the page. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.